out on our life which includes recognition of who you are or even that you would hear our prayers. So, Father, as we've been praying through this time of praying and fasting, Lord God, we ask you, Lord, hear our prayers. So now, Father, as we embark in this new journey, a new chapter, we pray that you would have your way in our life. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the, de and the uh, uh, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The heroes of history and poetry may be cruel, violent, self-seeking, ruthless, intemperate, and unjust, but they are never cowards. They do not falter or give way. They do not despair in the face of almost hopeless odds. They have the strength and the stamina to achieve whatever they set their minds and wills to do. They would not be heroes if they were not people of courage. This was an entry from something that's called a syntopicon. Syntopicon. Syntopicon uh, is a, a collection of, of books put out by Encyclopedia Britannica many, many years ago that includes the writings of many philosophers and including writings of scripture as well. Uh, they've basically done a survey throughout a long period of time on various topics. It's called the Syntopicon Index to Great Ideas. In the last two messages, we have dealt with the prayer of Nehemiah. And for that matter, his prayer and what he was trying to accomplish. We have now arrived at a place where we will see if Nehemiah, either he puts up or shut up. Remember those phrases? Either put up or shut up. When I was a kid, uh, that uh, those were the phrases that you heard right before a fight started. Or either that or uh, uh, nobody talks about my mama that way. So it's either one or the other. But we see that Nehemiah has not eaten. He's fasted. He has cried. He has prayed to the Lord. But after you've cried, after you've fasted, after you prayed, what happens after that? Well, some people assume, they make the assumption, that all we do is uh, uh, sit around and wait for Jesus to answer our prayers. Amen? Oh, I pray, so now I'm just waiting on my answer from heaven. So I don't have to do anything else. They believe Jesus is on the way, right? Jesus is on the main line, so uh, tell them what you want. They believe Jesus is on the way with our answer. And all we need to do now is just sit back, relax, and let Jesus do all the hard work now. I ain't got to do nothing. The bottom line is that some people really don't have courage to move forward. They can be afraid. The other day I passed 
by a sign that basically said, you can have courage or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. You can have courage or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. No, I don't think it means that never in your life will you be comforted. I don't think it means that at any time in your life, if you're comforted, uh, that you will never have courage. No, that's not what he's talking about. I, I think what's being said is that when it's time to do those things that are important in life, uh, that oftentimes they will make you feel uncomfortable. They will make you feel afraid. So Nehemiah now, here in Nehemiah chapter 2, he will be faced with a strange occurrence. I think it's strange in a way. He will be faced with realizing that God wants to use him as the answer for his own prayer. Right? And, 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 and that kind of sets uh, the foundation in the background. Right? You pray to God, oh God, oh God, oh God, answer my prayer. Oh God, oh God, when are you going to do something? Oh God, oh God, I've been praying for two hours now. Oh God, oh God, oh God, when is it going to change? And we are wondering, why isn't God doing anything? But maybe God wants to use you. Hmm. See, it's comfortable to wait on somebody else, Amen. It's easier to uh, complain uh, to another person that the work is not done when, we, when you yourself have not lifted a finger to get any of the work completed. You see, what we'll see here is that, that sometimes the answer to your prayer requires that you put your own flesh in the game. God could do it without you. God is sovereign. God has all power. Why does he need you anyway, right? And you may be saying to yourself, why do God, why does God need me anyway? He knows everything. He created me. He owns everything. But he doesn't do everything without. That he decides that he wants to use you. So Nehemiah, as we will discover, he will have the courage to become the very answer to the prayer that he had been praying. And this is not easy for Nehemiah, and neither is it or will it be easy for you. Nehemiah will need to speak up when the, when the odds are stacked against him. Because he knows about protocol. Right? He knows the way things are. And if you break protocol in that society, that that could cost you your life. Not just, well, we're going to suspend you for a couple of days from your job. Amen? Uh, not that kind of stuff. But uh, it can cost you your life. You do the wrong thing, you can end up dead. What's preventing you today from speaking up? After you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and you wanted Jesus to answer, but then realizing that you may be the answer to your own prayer, what's stopping you from speaking up and being the Nehemiah to your generation or in your situation? So God wants to encourage you with this word today. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Nehemiah 2, 
beginning in verse 1. Verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? And you ain't sick, boy. So why is your face looking all contorted? And the king said, Here, he says, This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah, he speaks. And what does he say? He says, Then I was very much afraid. If you sense you may be the answer to your prayer, then prepare to walk through the door when the Lord opens it. If you sense you may be the answer to your prayer, then prepare to walk through the door when the Lord opens it. So we pick up uh, in God's word from last time here again in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. But as some of you know that this section is hinged upon the last verse of Nehemiah 1. In fact, some would even suggest that really Nehemiah 2 verse 1 should have included the last sentence of Nehemiah 1.11. Nehemiah 1.11, the last part, says what? Nehemiah says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. I recall that from last time. But Nehemiah, uh, recall, right, you know, these are the bookends to chapter 1. And that's why it kind of makes sense that they included this, at least in this regard. Uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 uh, says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. So Nehemiah begins uh, this entire book by saying that he is the son of, of, of Hekeliah. And now he says, uh, again, what was his position, what was his job, uh, that he was the cupbearer to the king. Right, both of these things here, what's important was what was going in the middle. There were these bookends, Nehemiah, talk about Nehemiah. But what about Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah? Uh, Heke, who was Hekeliah? You see? Who was Nehemiah, in fact? They're just average people. And Nehemiah was an average person who had been unwillingly relocated to Babylon, a strange country with strange people. But averageness, you know, someone has called you average, middle of the road, you'd be okay. Regardless of how average you may think you to be, that if you are average before the Lord himself, understand that God can turn your averageness into gold. Never believe the press. Never believe that, oh, you're not good enough. Uh, never believe that, but understand uh, that what God can do with you in your life, in his hand, uh, only the mind can limit it. See, God can take average and make it super. So you uh, just need to be faithful to God. You need to be available when God calls you. 
And then we must be open to his teaching when he instructs. So now we see in Nehemiah 2.1 that it was time for Nehemiah to stand before the king as cupbearer. Now, uh, again, you may be familiar with a cup, what a cupbearer is, but if you don't know, uh, that the cupbearer's responsibility was uh, to bring the cup of wine to the king. Right? It wasn't just uh, a matter of bringing the cup of wine to the king, but also his responsibility was to uh, give the wine a little taste. Amen? Right? He had to taste the wine. Why? To make sure it was not poisonous. Right? Absolutely. This works. Uh, you know, see how God works in his sovereignty? This works in Nehemiah's favor because it gives him regular access to the king. Imagine all the people of all the lands that the kings of Babylon had conquered, right? And how many people wanted an audience with the king. But yet here Nehemiah was, uh, uh, for as often he, as he was called to duty, uh, that he had regular access to the king. Again, for the average person, uh, how many times do you have an opportunity to see the president? You know, maybe at a distance. For some, maybe once. Maybe twice for some, never in a million years, never. Never will you ever be close to a president. Again, our society is no different, as we know. So now notice that when he came, when Nehemiah came into the king's presence, that he had a sad face. Now, what would you think if you were the king, right? Let's say you're the king. And let's say that Someone that's supposed to be responsible for tasting your wine came to you with the wine and they had a funny look on their face. What would you think? Oh, they must be all right because they're supposed to have been happy, uh, but they're just sad today. In my mind, had I been king, I'd be like, you know what? Somebody pour that wine out and bring me another cup, Barry. Man, let's get rid of him because they're supposed to come in here happy. Right? In my mind, uh, that's what I'm thinking. The history says that uh, sometimes the servants, when they would come before the king with the cup of wine, that they would shield their mouths. Well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the fact that, you know, uh, number one, uh, because they were afraid of a little spittle in the cup. It wasn't, had nothing to do with hygiene, if you're wondering. Amen? Nothing to do with hygiene. They didn't care about that. If you were spitting all in their drink, they were as happy as a lark. You can spit in their drink, just don't put any poison in their drink. But sadness could be problematic for Nehemiah because the king could quickly become suspicious and have him arrested and then executed on the spot. You see, this king at the time under Xerxes, he was a dictator. And whatever a dictator says, that's what goes. Dictator, dictators demand loyalty regardless uh, if they are loyal to you or not. They just demand loyalty out of you. But obviously the king had a good relationship with Nehemiah. And he knew Nehemiah had a sad heart. But now Nehemiah is jolted awake by the reality that he could possibly lose his life because he said, I was very much afraid. What would he do in this situation? 
Did he back off and say, there's nothing wrong with me? There ain't nothing wrong with me. There ain't nothing wrong with me, kingy. Or will he just tell the king what was on his mind? In our relationships, we are often faced with all these types of scenarios. We may be afraid of damaging the relationship because we don't know what the other person would do if we tell them what's on our mind. Or we are afraid of losing our job if we tell our boss uh, the current path that we are on, uh, that it will be, uh, it is not productive at all. Oftentimes we will not say what's on our minds. But one thing that I have learned in life, and that is if the person you know can trust you, then you can have that conversation and the conversation not turn into a stick of dynamite. Amen? See, that's what, that's what trust is about. You see, I would rather someone tell me the truth and let's face it together than to hold destructive thoughts and habits because those pent-up uh, feelings causes relationships and progress to crumble. So Nehemiah, he got himself together. Got some courage. He began to express to the king what was on his heart. But now we need to return back now, right, to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, let's take a look here, right? Near the end. And part of his prayer, as we heard last time, was that he wanted the Lord to do what? And this is what he's asking God in his prayer, right? He says, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy. And you know that word mercy has also been translated as favor. So and grant him mercy or favor in the sight of this man. Uh, so we understand this man to be uh, the possibility of the king. See that? So he had already prayed that, Lord, I need success. Uh, I need favor before the king. He had already prayed this. And now he's standing before the king. He needed to make a decision as to whether or not he was going to put up or shut up. And being in those shoes, it didn't depend on anyone he can call on his mother, his father, his sister, his brother, his friend. He was the only one there. Have you ever been in a situation that you knew you needed to say something and you were like two inches for saying something and you backed away and said, no, I'm not going to say it. Especially something that can benefit you uh, because uh, you were just a little skittish. So now he's here. Now Nehemiah is there real time. God has put him in a situation. Will the Lord answer his prayer or not? In fact, he may be thinking, oh my goodness, if God doesn't answer my prayer right now, I'm toast. I'm done. How would you handle it? Now I know some of you say you would speak up. And charge ahead with full gusto. But if you were in Nehemiah's situation that you know that your head is on the line because you, number one, came into the king's presence in the wrong way, number one. And then number two, you may ask him something and the king may say, who do you think you are off with his head? 
But for you and your situation, you could lose everything that you've hoped for. So it's time to get courage, speak up, and let the Lord use you. It's time to get courage, speak up, and let the Lord use you. Nehemiah 2, verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Some people would call that Biden. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? That's some gall. Oh, you live forever, king, but why should not? Why should not be sad, right? Uh, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire. You see, the, the, the king could have taken immediate offense. Why? Because who destroyed the city in the first place? Ah, it wasn't necessarily Artaxerxes. He was later down the line. Uh, but it was one of the kings from Babylon. One of the kings of Babylon had destroyed the gates, had destroyed the wall, had removed the people out of Judah. Uh, they're the ones that did it. So the king could have taken offense from the very beginning and said, you know what? You sit up here, you're sad because your city is like that. That's right, we did it. And you, got your, you have nerve enough to stand up before me saying you're sad because of it. That's right. And he could have, again, had him executed. But he opens up. And he tells the king what is on his mind. Remember, uh, this was the news that he had received from his brother all the way back in Nehemiah chapter 1, one of the earlier verses. This is why he became sad and downtrodden. But look what's happening here. Right? In verse 3 he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and his gates have been destroyed by fire? Uh, then, verse 4, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? But then, look at the next response in scripture. It says, what? So I did what? That's right again. Uh, so, Nehemiah told the king what was going on. The king asked him a question, so what are you saying, Nehemiah? Nehemiah said, look here, look here, this is what I need, uh, uh, Mr. King. I need this, I need that, I, I need all these things, Mr. King. No, 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 no. What did he do first? Uh, he prayed. So while the question was coming out of the king's mouth, he prayed. You know, some of us are a little bit too anxious. Oh, God is about to answer my prayer. So I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to open up the whole gate and let all my feelings out right now. But sometimes you have to, you have to operate with spiritual restraint. Amen? Sometimes you have to hold back. You, you got to let things play out. So don't stop praying for results. Because you prayed at home today, don't stop praying for results because you see it's starting to crack. Uh, but when it's starting to crack, that's when you begin to be more fervent in your prayers. When you get where you're going, continue to pray. 
And pray some more and pray again because you don't know how God will intervene in your situation. But remember, your prayers don't force God to do anything, amen? You always remember that your prayers are in a concert. They are in partnership with God. That God somehow, and, and I'm not God, so I, can, I couldn't tell you exactly, but somehow God wants to use us in our prayers to get things done. Nehemiah 4 and 5, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor, and there it is again, if, you, 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 do you see what he's saying here? He says, If your servant has found favor, do, do you see what Nehemiah is saying? He's saying, if God is working through you, king, the king does not know that Yahweh is trying to work through him to get things done for his nation. Huh. King doesn't know this. But Nehemiah knows because he's already prayed for mercy in the sight of this man. He's already prayed for favor in the sight of this man. So he says, if I have found favor, Favor. Ah! If God is working through you, king, now imagine, imagine if he would say that. Oh, king, if my God is working through you, then I need for you to do this. And that king would have said, who, 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 who are you talking about, Nehemiah? What are you talking about? But Nehemiah, he knew. He knew. Where did Nehemiah get the gumption to ask the leader of many nations for such a thing? Hey, it was his heart of prayer. And then, ultimately, it wasn't about Nehemiah, it was about his people. So he came before the king with boldness and humbleness at the same time. But remember, he sensed that he would be the answer to his own prayer, and God opened the door, so he just walked right through it. You know, sometimes folks are too afraid to walk through their own door, amen? God starts opening things up, well, no, no, they, they, they only make it so far, and then they stop dead in their tracks. They're seized, they're frozen, they can't go on because they're too afraid. But I'm telling you today, if you've been praying for God to give you an answer, you see an answer starting to open up for you, continue to pray, and then when God opens that door some more, you walk through it in the name of Jesus Christ with boldness and with courage. So after you pray, amen, listen to this. After you pray, dream big. All right, I'm not done. After you pray, dream big. I'm not done. So I'm, I'm repeating this again because I want you to write it down. All right, if you didn't know it by now. After you pray, do what? And make a plan. After you pray, dream big and make a plan. You see, part of our problem sometimes is that uh, we like to dream big, amen? And sometimes we love, well, all the time, we should love to pray, amen? 
But then there's this thing that we just don't like to plan nothing. We, we just like to go out and do it. And then when we put all of our stuff together, it starts to mature. And it's kind of like the, uh, uh, my, my garden that I started in my backyard years ago. And some of you know I did not have a garden last year. So what happened uh, in these two years, what do you think grow, grew in place of all those garden plants? Weeds and trees. Weeds and trees. Right? But imagine if I would have just taken all types of seed and just started throwing it anywhere, right? You know, cucumbers with tomatoes, just throw it anywhere I want to. It'd be, uh, it'd probably start to mature, but it would be a total what? Mess. I have a mess on my hand. So anyway, Nehemiah 2, verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah 2, verses 7 and 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter, and a letter of, uh, to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So now, uh, uh, the, the last part, what you heard, was a statement, kind of an aside, that Nehemiah had mentioned. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He was not saying that to the king. He said all the other things to the king. You see, Nehemiah didn't leave everything to the Lord after the door, door was open. In fact, he could have had what leadership expert Ken Blanchard said, and he calls this an assumed constraint. Listen to that, assumed constraint. An assumed constraint is assuming you can't have something either because you've never asked before, it's never been done before, or no one has ever attempted before. An assumed constraint makes the assumption that it's simply not going to happen. So oftentimes we say things like, why even try? Here's an example to help clarify this. Ken Blanchard gives us an example. He says that they, they train elephants for the circus, at least at that time. Uh, they train elephants for the uh, circus this way, to keep them under control. Uh, that when they're babies, what they would do, they would take the big chain, wrap it around their neck, and then wrap it around a very sturdy pole when they're babies. And then the baby elephant, they try to get away, and they can't do anything. Right? And then they put the chain around the elephant's neck again, uh, strap it to the pole, and they get there. And then the baby elephant try to pull it away, they can't. So the elephant, the baby elephant is trying day after day, week after week, to snatch that chain off his neck because even a baby elephant is, is big, but that chain is stronger than the baby elephant. You know, so they realize after a period of time, I can't get this, so I just give up. When the elephant becomes an adult, they take the chain, put around the elephant's neck, and they put it around the same pole, and guess what? The elephant doesn't even try. Even though the elephant now is big enough to not only just snatch the chain off the pole, 
but he's big enough to pull the pole out the ground. But he only now has assumed because that's the way things were, that that's the way things are now. So he says, why even bother? Isn't that like us in some of our situations? Why even bother? Why should I even try? Nobody is going to like it. No one is going to like me. And it's not going to make a difference. That is an assumed constraint. See, Nehemiah, he could have said that, you know what, I have no reason to go before the king because I'll be in trouble and the king isn't going to say no and he'll probably just kill me. Now imagine if Nehemiah had uh, that mindset. But you see, when you're walking with God, with the confidence of God, know that those assumed constraints are totally broken in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you say Amen. God provides opportunities for us to step up to the plate. Remember Ann Landers? You guys remember her? Some of the old people used to tell me about her. That she once said, she was an advice columnist. She once said in one of her pieces that, and I quote, opportunities are usually disguised as hard work. <laughs> so most people don't recognize them. Nehemiah therefore asks, for everything he needs from the king, and he gave it to him. This is a case where Nehemiah, originally he served uh, the king himself, but now guess what? Guess what's happening now? It is the king who's serving the servant. See, uh, Nehemiah, he was supposed to, as the, the king's cupbearer, he was supposed to serve the king, but now uh, what we think about leadership, uh, that you know, the subordinates always do what the top wants them to do, but now the whole thing is flipped on his head, and now those who are at the top are serving those who were at the bottom. Why is this turned upside down? Because the hand of God was on Nehemiah for favor. And open doors. Now remember though, you got to remember this, because that sounds like good news, amen? It sounds like good news when God starts to answer our prayer. It makes us want to jump up and shout. But remember again when Nehemiah wept? Remember when he mourned? Remember when he fasted? Remember when he prayed for days in Nehemiah 1, 4? Let's go back to Nehemiah 1 and 1 now. You've got to see this. Nehemiah 1 and 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. We got that now. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. Okay, you're saying to yourself, the Kislev was November, December. Right? Kind of like those months, November, December-ish. But then we go to Nehemiah 2, verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan, and it's not talking about the car, it's talking about 
the month, the, the same year, right, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And by, uh, by the way, one in one, when it mentions the 20th year, he's speaking the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. He's not talking about all of time, only from the, the reign of King Artaxerxes. So uh, the month of Nisan, that was March, April. So if you kind of calculate the time difference between November, December, and March, and April, you end up getting about four to five months. See, in our minds, when we're reading our passage here, we think maybe just a little tiny time has passed by. So it took four to five months of Nehemiah praying for God to open the door. Do you hear what I'm saying? It took four to five months of, of Nehemiah's praying and probably fasting during this time in order for God to answer his prayer. So don't think that a five-minute prayer is going to solve your 50-year problem. You see, uh, if your problem is long-term, it requires long-term prayer. Amen? Now, I'm not discounting God, and, and, the, and the Lord knows my heart. And you should know my heart as well, that we know that we could pray something, and God can answer it right now, right in the here and the now. Amen? But other time, God calls us to pray and pray again and pray again. Four to five months. Well, Pastor, I don't know about praying and fasting for 40 days. That's a long time. There are strongholds that are present, broken down walls all in your life that need the work of the Spirit. And it may take time. For you, it may take longer than four to five months. It could take nine months or a year. Or depending upon the stronghold, it could take uh, several years. But God calls us to faithful prayer. So Nehemiah, he went on to speak up for himself with boldness and courage. And even though he was afraid. And courage, by the way, is not the absence of fear. And if you always waited until you were not fearful to do anything, you will never get anything done. You know, I tell the stories, you know, I know sometimes, you know, some of you look at me and say, man, you know, he's not nervous up there. He's not talking. When, when he talks, when he speaks, when he preaches, he's not nervous. But I want you to know that there are times just absolutely crazy in my mind. It's crazy. It's absolutely, you realize it's crazy? Especially sometimes I've, I've preached at places that I you know, thought to myself, they're going to stone me when I finish this message for sure. When you think that before you start your message, you have to have the courage of the Lord. Amen? The entry uh, again on courage in the Syntopticon says this, and I quote, The heroes have boundless passions and fear is among them. So it says the heroes, they have fear. When they are called fearless, it is not because nothing affrights them or turns their blood cold. Fear seizes them, as does anger. In other words, they're just like everybody else. 
These people that we call heroes, they're just like you and I. Nothing special. But he goes on to say that they are fearless only in the sense that they do not act afraid or fail to act. See, for some of us, uh, when we become so afraid, we stop doing what we need to do. Afraid to make the phone call. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. Or afraid to do this. Or afraid to do that. Right? Uh, we fail to do that. He goes on to say, their courage is always equal to the peril sensed or felt so that they can perform what must be done as if they had no fear of pain or death, end quote. If you are fearful yet have the Lord on your side, how can you ever go wrong by following him? So the courage of Nehemiah, your courage is found in the Lord who is our strength. Psalm uh, 28, verse 7. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. So as you pray, as you dream big, and as you plan, this final side I'm going to pre uh, present to you very quickly right now. Sometimes you got to keep things to yourself when you know the Lord is about to do things through you. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth about what God is doing. Nehemiah 2 Verse 11 and 12. So, he says, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So now we fast forward. So he asked the king for all these things. Obviously the king said yes. He, he gives him permission. He gives him the letter. He gives him all the tools. He gives him all the resources he needs. So he goes to Jerusalem. He said he was there for three days. He was not only there for three days, but he had been around for three days. And then this is what happened. Verse 12. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. Basically, he wanted to be quiet. He didn't need, he need a whole bunch of mess, right? He, need, he didn't need everybody in their cars, right? Uh, you, you know what? Y'all leave y'all cell phones back in Babylon or back at the house, y'all, because you know we get there, your phone starts ringing with all those crazy rings. Everybody going to know all of our business. You see, but what, what Nehemiah is saying is sometimes you can't let everybody know what you're doing because there are going to be some people that are not going to like it. Some people that are going to tell you, you know what, you need to slow down. Or some people are going to tell you, you need to make other plans. But if you know what God has told you to do, you need to hold on to that until he tells you to do something different. All right? But look now, Nehemiah 2, uh, starting at verse 9. Right? I'll be back up a little bit now. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king. So he had authority. He just showed his letter to everybody. Look, uh, I got king authority. Step back. Leave me alone. 
So he could have told everybody, oh, this is what I'm going to do. He had the authority. He had the letters. Now, uh, the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Verse 10. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them. There it is. There it is. You know what? I just, you know, I never really liked them. And, and if I see them coming, but what does it say? It, it displeased them, right? But, uh, when I heard it, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So, look, Nehemiah came, and they were thinking that someone just wanted to come find out how everybody was doing. Guess what? They were mad. They were mad just because somebody came to find out how everybody was doing. Now, in your mind, you can already start to kind of forecast what's going to happen because you, you may realize that these two people, Sanballat and Tobiah, that they're going to be adversaries throughout this whole story. You see, at the very beginning of your plan, you tell the wrong people what you're going to do, and they're going to have it out for you. Which is why there's some things you just have to keep to yourself. You know, you know if you have, look, if you have the right people in your life, you can tell them, amen? People that you can trust, you know they're not going to be blabbermouth, your stuff all over the place, right? People that you can trust, right? But some people are just not ready for it. Some people can't handle the truth. Remember a few good men's? You can't handle the truth, right? Some people are just like that. But know that God, he wants to use you as the answer. And you got to consider these things. You must consider these things because this is our template for breaking down those walls and then getting them built up. You know, breaking down those strongholds and then getting our walls built up. This is the template. This is what God is teaching us. Yes, this was about Israel. This was about God's people and how he was fulfilling a promise to them that if he took them out of the land, that he would bring them back into the land. They're now coming back into the land. The first wave actually came back uh, in, in the book of Ezra. And now uh, they're here in Nehemiah. Uh, the second wave will be coming back as well. They're building things up. So this is how we respond. By saying yes, realizing that God may use us, having the courage Dream big, continue to pray, also plan, but also keep some things to ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your work.